Thank you for tuning in to listen to this week's sermon at Bethel Church. Every week, Pastor Jeremy Dean delivers a powerful message rooted in Scripture, a heart for the gospel, and a love for God and His church. We also hope you check out the Bethel Church podcast, which release on Wednesdays at 8 a.m. throughout the year. To learn more about Bethel Church, you can visit lovingbethel.com. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Here's Pastor Jeremy Dean. I don't know if you feel it or not, but I'm excited to be here. Amen? Hey, if you've got your Bibles, go to John, the Gospel of John in the New Testament. John chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning. So John chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I'm going to talk to you just for a minute. One, we had an awesome, awesome day yesterday uh, with our Easter celebration. I'm thankful for the volunteers and those who came out and were part of that. Uh, it was so cool because, the, 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 to me, what made it worth it yesterday is we were able to share the gospel with people in our community that we know it was the first time they heard it. Let that sink in for just a minute. We live in South Carolina, right? What, what Bible belt, whatever that means, right? And we were able to share the gospel with some people yesterday that had never heard it before. That's why we do what we do. That's why we did what we did. I'm telling you, God is working. He's doing awesome stuff, right? The other thing I want to share with you, too, is you, you may see these in the foyer at the welcome desk or maybe just kind of strewn around in different places in the hallway. These are cards about Easter. Uh, I want you to remember that on Easter Sunday, we will have two services, one at 9 o'clock and one at 1030. They're identical services. They're going to be the same. Uh, so there's not going to be one over the other. But we want you to pick these cards up, not just one for yourself. Yeah, take one home, put it on your refrigerator so you remember. But grab several of them and hand them out. Let people know that we want them to be here to hear about Jesus on Easter. And so take some of those cards with you um, as you go out and give those out and pray about who God would have you to give those to. So I want to encourage you with that. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 14 through 21 this morning, and, and we're in the middle of a conversation uh, that Jesus is having with a Pharisee, with a religious leader, right? And uh, uh, if we might even not use the term today as an avid church goer, all right? That's Nicodemus. I mean, he was, he, he was all religious, thought he had all of it worked out, thought he understood who God was and the way to the kingdom of God and things like that. But what we're finding in this conversation is that he's missing some things. Uh, that God is doing far more than what he could expect. He's, God is working things out for our spiritual good in addition to our physical. But Nicodemus was just thinking about physical things. He was having a hard time understanding what Jesus was talking about. And so we're going to pick up in the middle of that conversation and see what Jesus ends with and what he says. So if you would, look at verse 13. Take a look at John 3, 13. Jesus says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, 
But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this conversation that Jesus, you had with Nicodemus. And I pray, Father, that as we read through these verses, that the truth of your word, Lord, you would impress on our hearts that we would recognize our need for you, that we would see so clearly your goodness and your love for us, your desire for us to have a relationship with you, not just for a moment, but for all eternity. Lord, help us believe in you today and tomorrow and the next day and trust you with all that we are. We thank you, Jesus. Please teach us and lead in these moments. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes inside your worship guide, there is a, there is a handout in there. If you want to fill in some blanks, you're more than welcome to. I might not get to everything that's there. I'm just saying it up front right now. We'll see how this goes. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get you blanks afterward if you need it. But if you're taking notes, here's the big idea this morning. Really simple from these verses. What I think Jesus is telling Nicodemus and what I think Jesus is telling you and I is that whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. And the flip of that, the, the, the reverse of that is the same. It's true. It, said, it would be that whoever does not believe in Jesus does not have eternal life. And that's the big question. That's the big dilemma. That's, that's what Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus, this religious church-going Pharisee, to understand that it's not about his works, it's not about what he brings to the table, it's not about his status, it's not about his ability, it's not about anything in, in, in Nicodemus, it's not about anything in you and me, it's not about our good intentions. If we want to have eternal life, if we want to enter the kingdom of God, God, if we want to one day be in heaven with Jesus, it all goes back to our faith in Him. Have I trusted Jesus with my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Have I given Him my life? Have I believed in the name of Jesus Christ? That's really what it comes down to. And so here's how Nicodemus, I mean, how, how Jesus unpacks this for Nicodemus. Go back and let's look at verses 13, 14, and 15. Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says in verse 13, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is referring to himself when he talks about that. When he says the words Son of Man, he's talking about himself. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. He is the one who was sent by God to restore the kingdom of God, not just in a physical sense, but in an eternal and spiritual sense. The words Son of Man or that title Son of Man comes from a few different uh, verses in Scripture, but I just want to give you a couple of them. In Psalm 144.3, it says, O Lord, what is man that you regard him? Or the son of man that you think of him? 
This speaks directly to humanity. The idea of the Son of Man speaks directly to what it means to be human. And Jesus refers to Himself as the Son of Man. And what we know is that Jesus Himself is fully man. He is fully human. He was born in the likeness of man. He was a baby and He grew up in wisdom and stature. His mother nursed Him and took care of Him. He hit His nail with a hammer as a carpenter and He said, ow. You know, He was fully human. But also what Scripture teaches us about the Son of Man is what we see in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel, the prophet, has this vision and he says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's God in heaven, and was presented before him. And to him, to the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is everlasting, which will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Not only is the Son of Man a reference to Jesus' humanity, it's also a reference to His deity, that He has all authority, a forever authority. The, The term Son of Man is referring to the promised Messiah, the Christ, the King of Israel. But not just the human, but the Son of God. And Jesus is that man. Nicodemus would have heard the phrase, Son of Man, and he likely would have gone back to these verses or verses like these in the Old Testament Scriptures that he knew so well, the Scriptures that he was a teacher of, and he would have caught those things that Jesus is saying. And then notice what he says in verse 14. Jesus draws again on the Scriptures that Nicodemus knew so well. He goes back to Numbers chapter 21, verses 4-9. through I'm not going to put that up here, but he goes back to these verses in Numbers and he gives a reference. He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Nicodemus knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. In the book of Numbers, there's Genesis, there's Exodus, there's Leviticus, and then there's Numbers. It's the fourth book of the Old Testament. Nicodemus was a teacher of that book. And he knew what Jesus was talking about. There was a time in Israel's history uh, when they were wandering. They had left Egypt. God had, uh, had delivered them from Egyptian slavery. And now they were on their way to the land God had promised to give them. And on their way, they were, they were irritable. They would get impatient. That's what it says in Numbers 21, 4 through 9. They get they got irritable and they began to complain. And they complained to Moses, Why did you bring us out here? Why did God bring us out here into this wilderness just to die? It would have been better if we just stayed as slaves in Egypt. They wanted to settle for less than what God had for them because in the moment it seemed a little bit hard. It was a challenge. They didn't trust in what God was doing, even though they had seen the waters part. They weren't believing and trusting in Jesus in God at that time, and they weren't following Moses, the prophet that God had ordained to lead them out. They were complaining. And so what God did in Numbers chapter 21 is He sent punishment to them in a form that would scare me to death. 
He sent snakes. He sent snakes, and these snakes came. By the way, it's probably not a great idea to call me to get the snake out of your house. I'm not very good at it. Just, just saying, all right? Uh, but but if this, these snakes came in, they were venomous snakes, and anyone who was bitten by this snake died, okay? But then God gave a way out. He gave Moses instructions because they cried out to God, God, save us from this Judgment, save us from these snakes. And God instructed Moses to build a, a, a staff and put a bronze serpent on this staff and, and put it out there in the camp so people, whenever they would get bitten, if they looked up at the serpent on this staff, I know this sounds kind of weird, but if they looked up at that, they would be spared and they would heal. They would have life. Nicodemus knew exactly the historical narrative. He knew exactly that event in Israel's history that Jesus was talking about. And if you're taking notes, I kind of just summarized it this way. The goodness of God makes a way for us to have life. That even in Israel's sin and impatience and rebellion and irritableness and complaining, There's consequences to our sin. There's consequences when we rebel against God and we push Him aside or we think we know better than God. There's consequences to those things. We know that, but God doesn't just leave us there to die. God gives us a way out. He makes a way for us to overcome death and to have life. And Jesus tells Nicodemus here in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, the Christ, the, the, the Son of God Himself must be lifted up. In verse 15, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. A couple of things that Jesus does here. One, I love that He goes back to the Old Testament Scriptures. Jesus knew the Old Testament. He knew the Scriptures and He taught them. He's teaching the teacher of the Old Testament Scriptures, right? But he's also showing that these Old Testament scriptures, they point to something greater. They point to someone greater. They point to Jesus himself. And while that bronze serpent, when they would look up, they got bit by a snake and they would look at that bronze serpent and they would be healed and they would have life. It was just life. Jesus said that the Son of Man, the Christ, the Son of God must be lifted up and whoever believes in him won't just have life. He goes many, many, many steps farther. It says, we'll have eternal life. Eternal life. See, Jesus didn't just come to simply, and God is, God's goodness is not just simply to make us comfortable and to make us feel good, and then when we get sick and we're dying to make us better, that's good and we want those blessings and He's faithful and He provides those things, but He's about something even bigger. He's about something eternal. It's not just the physical life that He's concerned about. He's concerned about our spiritual lives. He's concerned that we are not just born of the flesh, but that we are born again, born of the Spirit. The goodness of God makes a way for us to have eternal life. And Jesus, I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but in in John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus gives us a definition of eternal life. When you think of eternal life, you probably think of A long period of time. Unending time. No more clocks and calendars and things. There's no point in keeping time in eternity, right? Because it just keeps on going. Jesus didn't define it that way. 
Later in the book of John, in John 17, we get this whole chapter of Jesus' prayer, a a whole chapter of prayer from Jesus to God the Father. And in verse 3, he says this. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not just that unending time that we look forward to whenever we pass from this existence. Eternal life is all about knowing God. Knowing Jesus. And it's not a knowledge where you just simply know about Him. It's not like you know about Abraham Lincoln or, 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 or George Washington. It is as you know your wife or as you know your husband. It is a relationship. It is a covenant. It is a marriage. It is, it is intimate, close, a daily walk. You know, I, I, I put it this way in my notes, thinking about eternal life, that this relationship with God is where we find truth and joy. And this relationship with God is where we find beauty. It's where we find significance and purpose. And our relationship with God is where we find goodness. It's where we find provision. It's where we find contentment. It's where we find peace. It's in our relationship with God, our Maker, God the Father, with Jesus. It's when we find what love really is. A love that never fails. It's what we long for as humans. Every person wants those things I just listed. Every person wants to be joyful. Every person wants provision. Every person wants love. Every person wants significance and purpose. Every person wants peace. They want these things. We long for these things. But they're only truly found in a relationship with the one who made you because that's how he made you to be with him and to love him, be found in him. To find your hope in Him. Everything else comes up short. See, a relationship with God, this eternal life, is all about being with Him. Having that relationship with Him. Longing for those things that only He can provide, but the world tries to take away. Tries to steal from you. Jesus is sharing this with Nicodemus. And then look, you get this next verse. Probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture. Many of us could probably recite it, even though we're probably reciting it from different versions and it would sound kind of funny, but it all means the same thing. John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. What He's telling, this verse, John 3.16, follows on the heels of this reference to Numbers. He's telling Nicodemus, just as God did this for the people of Israel, His people in Numbers chapter 21, His part of what He's doing in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. If you look and believe on the Son of Man who has been lifted up, which is a reference to His later crucifixion, if you believe in Jesus who died for you, was lifted up for you, you will have eternal life. These verses go together. So let's unpack what John 3.16 is really getting at. If you're taking notes, I put it this way. I think the song said it better. The power of His love. 
His love never fails. And I put it this way. I said the force of God's love for you is greater than any force against you. The power of God's love for you is greater than any power in this world to steal you away from Him. It all comes down to whether or not you believe. Whether or not you receive what God has already done for you. Let's understand what he says here. He said The first part says, for God so loved the world. What do we mean by for God so loved the world? There's a couple of ways it can be, can be thought of, right? For God so loved the world, I think it's both. I think it's, it's this idea of the, his powerful love. When, when my kids were younger, I would manipulate my kids and try to get them to tell me how much they love me. All right, I know I'm a parent, I'm, I'm a sinner, right? I probably shouldn't manipulate my kids, but I would. And I would say, I would say to them, how much do you love me? And they'd say, Dad, I love you a lot. Well, show me, show me how much you love me. Like, like, like do you love me this much? Or do you love me this much? You know, and they say, well, Dad, I love you this much. I say, well, I love you this much. You know, and, and, they, would, and they, they would get the idea and they would, they would stretch their arms out and tell me, right? And then there was a joke at one point. I, don't, I, don't, I think she manipulated them at one point because Elijah would come up to me and say, Dad, I love, I love Mom this much. I love you this much. <laughs> we got some troubles in our family sometimes. Anyway, um, no, but, but, but what I'm getting at, what I'm getting at is when we read the words, for God so loved the world, the question is, how much does he love you? Think about it. How big is that? How immense is that? That you are loved by God. And not just you, but he says the world. Not just a few, not just this crowd over here. He loves us all farther than I can stretch my hand. His love is intense. His love is big. His love is great. There's a lot of verses we can share. I I deleted some verses because I had too many, but in Ephesians 2, verse 4, it comes on the heels of three verses that tell us how bad we are in our sin, how dead we are in our sin. And as dead as we are, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. I mean, you see that there. And it goes on. It says He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. Why? In Christ, so that He can, in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us. This is filled with words of love, how God the Father thinks and feels about you. There's an intensity. There's a power in His love. But it also means this, and your, ver- your Bible version may even kind of put it this way. For God so loved the world, that God loved the world in this way. Not only do we see the power of His love, but we see the demonstration of His love in John 3.16. That He gave His only Son. Man, His love is free. His love is is generous. His love for us is really seen not in just pages in a book, 
but in an event in history that He would send His one and only Son, the only one full of the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth, where the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, that He would send Jesus Christ to die for you and for me. Romans 5.8 puts it this way. It says, but God shows His love for us. And catch this, that while we were still sinners, that is, while we were still enemies, while we were opposed to God, living life out in our own way, where He was not Lord of our life, we maybe were indifferent to Him, or we were just ignorant of God, or we were hostile and angry, or we were afraid of God. Whatever our stance and position was, when that was our position to Him of opposition and rebellion, He still came and He died for you. He gave His life, it says in Matthew 26, willingly for you and for me. How much does God love you? So much that He would send Jesus to die in your place. There's a reason. We see see how God loves the world by giving His one and only Son. But why is it? Look at verse 16. It says that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's a few things I want you to see in this last part. There's a whole lot we could talk about. But it says that whoever believes, whoever is whoever, right? Anybody. It doesn't matter where you're from, where you're at, what color of your skin. What, what, it doesn't matter any of those things. That whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. Have this relationship with God where they will experience the full joy, love, peace, and all that God has to offer in His goodness beginning today and forever. Whoever believes. But understand that this idea of belief is not a single moment in time. And I want you to hear this for a minute, church, and pay attention to this. Listen in. Believing in Jesus does not just simply refer to that moment in time back when you were six, seven, eight, nine years old. That was the start. That was the beginning. When you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior because you believed that He died to forgive you of your sins and that He rose on the third day to give you eternal life and you asked Him, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Forgive me. Save me. And you called out to Him and confessed Him on that day. Your, whole, your, your soul, your spirit was made alive in Christ. The Holy Spirit came inside of you and resurrected the dead you and made you alive in Christ. But you were alive to live it was a moment yes but it was the start it was the beginning it was not the end it wasn't finished it was the beginning of a work he begins to work in you the word believe in john 3 16 whoever believes in him is not just talking about that one moment it's a continuous action it's that every day you live trusting Jesus. That means there's no day off. You cannot sit there and do things your way, live life your way, go in your sin and do the things that please you and ignore and put God on the shelf because when you were eight, you prayed a prayer. 
If that's what you think, you're not born again. You're lost. It's a continuous faith. Now, do we fall backwards sometimes? Yeah. Are there seasons of difficulty and challenge and wandering? Yes. But is your heart and your life connected to Jesus that even when you have those moments, the Holy Spirit is pulling on you and you feel that pull and sometimes you're pulling away, but eventually because you belong to Him, He's pulled you back in. It's a continuous belief. It's a persevering faith. It's a growing faith. Whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. That is, will not be cut off, will not be destroyed. The word perish literally means to be destroyed. So whoever trusts in Jesus as their Lord and Savior with that persevering faith that I've given my life to Christ, that every day from this point out, I am His and He is Lord of my life. That means He calls the shots in everything. And if I disagree with Him, I just need to come to Him and let Him change my mind and bring me into alignment with Him. If, if you are trusting in Him, then you won't be destroyed and cut off from God forever, but you would have that relationship with Him for eternity. That's John 3.16. But there's a verse we sometimes miss in John 3.17. Look at it. Jesus says to Nicodemus, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. If you're taking notes, I'll put it this way. God wants to save the world, not condemn it. God's desire is that all men would be saved. That all women would be saved. But that's not reality. Because not everyone believes. Sometimes we get this mixed up. We reverse this in the church. And sometimes the world, even though maybe it's not so much we reverse it here in the church, but the world sees us and thinks that it's reversed. We, we sometimes... We have a problem with the word condemn because it doesn't sound nice. In fact, a lot of people would say that condemning is unloving, and I'm telling you that's not the truth. Condemning something is really and truly an act of love if it's in truth. Right? right. I'll put it this way. Put it this way. Um. There is, you might be familiar with a, with a group called the Barna Group. They do uh, research, and they did a research several years ago, I think it was 2015, 2016, on millennials, right? And if that, if that brings things into your mind, uh, you know, that's okay. Millennials are good people. They're, not, they're good. We, we love them, you know? Um, I think I am one. I don't know where the, where the cutoff is, but so anyway, so, so, so they did it. Basically, at that point, it was 19 to 29-year-olds. And at the end of the research, one of the things that they drew out, and I want to put the quote up here, is, is that they were asking questions about the church and things. Uh, the church is more famous, this is what they said in their book, for what we oppose than for who we are for. That's not good. 
And they went on to list things like, like the church is known for being uh, uh, anti-homosexual, judgmental, hypocritical, too political, old-fashioned, insensitive, boring, unaccepting of other faiths, and confusing. Now, when we go to Scripture, Scripture is very clear. There, there are things that God opposes. And we ought to oppose the same thing. But we don't oppose those things and sacrifice what He supports and what He's for and what He loves. We ought to be known for who we are for and what God stands for rather than being known for what we oppose. God certainly opposes things. When in these verses, if you look at verse 17 and 18, it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There are things that God opposes. There are many things that God condemns. God condemns sin. God condemns what, is, what hurts and what, what destroys. God condemns what kills. God condemns, if we want to put names to it, He condemns uh, homosexuality. He condemns transgenderism. He condemns uh, the, the sexual immorality. He condemns fornication. He condemns cohabitation. He condemns all of these things. We can go to Scripture and we can find these lists in 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 and 10 and 11. There are things He stands apart from. He opposes. Why? Because He is perfect and He is holy and He is righteous and He is good and He is true. But here, go back. Here's the deal. God wants to save the world, not condemn it. He's not just sitting there finding ways to squash us. He sent Jesus to give us a way out, to make a way for us to have eternal life and embrace all of the goodness, love, and joy, and truth, and peace, and all of that that He wants for us. We have to trust Him. We have to believe Him. But in he's, he condemns those things, but he also stands for so much more. And we should be thankful that he stands against evil, that he stands against injustice and against lies. It says in Romans 1.18 that the wrath of God is poured out on all ungodliness. And we're all glad for that. It's harsh, but we're all glad for that. Why? Because if he didn't stand against it, there would be no hope. And there would be no answer. There would be no resolution. There would be no salvation. We would all be condemned. Our condemnation is not because God says, all right, I don't like you. I don't want you. You're bad. Our condemnation comes because Jesus said, I love you and I want what's best for you and I sent my son to die for you and to give you eternal life, but you said no. Did you catch that? God is not sending anyone to hell. They chose to go there. That's tough. But that's what Scripture is teaching. We want to stand for what is right. 
We want to stand for what is good. We want to stand for what is true. And we want to be known for a people who love people and care about truth and fight for those things, not for what we're opposed to. If your mind and your thoughts and your your daily scrolls and the news and, and what you're watching on TV and the conversations that you have with other people are all about the things you hate. You're missing it. We, our speech and our conversations need to be seasoned with the good things. We need to be seasoned with salt to share truth and goodness with people. Philippians chapter 4, Paul even says that think about what is good and lovely and true and honorable. Let your mind think about these things. It's not that we ignore the bad and the wrong, but we're focusing in on God. God didn't just come to condemn. That's not why He came. He came to save. He came to give us a lifeline. He came to rescue. The question is, will you grab the rope? Will you grab what you need? Will you, will you take a hold of Jesus and let Him save you? One other thought that I had is this. Most people just don't want it though. Most people just don't want God at all. Look at verse 19. He says, this is the judgment. Right? So condemnation comes because you have not believed in Jesus whom God has sent to save the world. You didn't receive Him. You didn't trust Him. You didn't believe Him. And so condemnation comes to you. But here's the judgment. The light came into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. In other words, he uses this analogy of light and darkness. Light being what is true, what, what reveals what, what is good, and darkness being what hides and conceals and, and, and those kind of things. And he says the light that is Jesus Himself has come into the world to show you the way, to reveal the truth to you, to let you know how salvation comes. But when people saw the light, they were repelled. And love the darkness rather than light. Instead of choosing to come to the light and be saved, they remained apart. It's a matter of the heart. It's not simply like for Nicodemus. Let's just go. We forgot about him, right? Nicodemus. He, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus thought that if I just get my act together, if I do the right things, if I think the right things, if I just if I just fix myself, then I'll be pleasing to God. And what Jesus is saying, no, it's not about just in here. It's about your heart. It's about your devotion. It's about your commitment. But most people just don't want God at all. And finally, I'll wrap it up this way. God wants us to walk in the light because that's where He shines in all His glory. Look at verses 19 through 21. Well, just go to verse 20. It says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night. This conversation happened in darkness. Because Nicodemus didn't want others around him to know he was coming to talk to Jesus. See, the darkness hides things. And our sin brings a lot of things that we want to hide. The very act itself, we probably don't want people to know. We thought that, said that, did that, looked at that, whatever it may be. But we also don't want people to know that we have shame. 
and we have guilt, and it weighs heavy. We'd rather just keep that stuff in the dark. Jesus came to set us free from those things. He says, don't, don't, don't stay in the dark and hide behind sin. That's what condemns. Instead, come to the light. And in verse 21, it's, it's really cool. He says, whoever does what is true, that is, does what is right and authentic, right? Whoever seeks to do the things that God has called them and taught them to do, that person comes to the light. They're not afraid to come to the light. They're not afraid to come to Jesus. They're not afraid for things to be exposed because they know that Jesus has forgiven and He has forgiven fully. That yes, I've made mistakes and I have said things and I have a past and this hurts and I had struggles and I made all these things. But, but I know who Jesus is and He came and He died to forgive me of all of that. He doesn't count any of that against me. And so I'm going to continue to live in faith and do the things He's called me to do because He's Lord of my life and I'm okay with letting other people see that because that is who Jesus is and He loves me. People who know Jesus are not afraid of the light. They don't hide in the dark. They can live with boldness. They can live with courage. They can live with confidence because of who Jesus is and what He's done for them because Jesus threw that lifeline out there and they embraced it and they received that salvation and that eternal life that begins today and continues on and on daily. So good. But that very last part in verse 20 said, 21, it says, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What in the world does that mean? This is not a prideful thing. This is not saying that those who do what is right and come to the light, man, they, they strut around so everybody can clearly see that their works have been carried out in God and they've done the right thing. No, 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 no. What this is saying is that those who have come to the light, who have come to Jesus and given themselves to Him by faith, it becomes clear that God has done a work. The glory doesn't go to me. It doesn't go to you. The glory goes to God who did all of this for a world that He so loves that if we would just believe, we would have all that He offers. Where are you this morning? What's going through your heart? What is, what, is the, what is the Spirit speaking to you this morning? You've seen and heard the songs of testimony this morning. You've seen the testimony of baptism and a changed heart and a changed life and the joy that comes with that. And you've heard the truth of God's Word. The question is, how are you going to respond? I'm going to invite Christy to come and she's going to going to play to close out our service. But in these moments, continue to listen to what Jesus is saying to you. Because I think there's a few different people in the room. I think that there are some people who are, they oppose God because they're ignorant. And I don't mean that in a, in a mean way. They just don't know. There was someone yesterday who heard the gospel for the first time because before that they didn't know. Maybe you're the person who just, you don't know. And you have questions. And you want to hear the truth. Or maybe you're the person who's just indifferent. You know and you've heard the truth of Jesus and you've heard the gospel. You just don't care. 
person who's indifferent and just doesn't care needs our patience. Needs us to come alongside them and love them and care for them, but just be patiently praying for them. If you're that person who just sits there and you don't care, I'm praying for you. That one day, and hopefully, and I'm praying, hopefully it won't be through such a hard, hard crisis, but that one day you'll see the truth. Maybe you're sitting there though, and and, and it's not that you're ignorant, it's not that you're indifferent, but you're afraid. What would would change in your life if you took that step of faith? What will other people think about you? What are you going to have to give up and say no to? And I get it. But what Jesus is saying is they don't stay in the dark behind those things. He says, come to the light. Because coming to the light is going to be far greater than any of those things. But you know, there are people who are hostile and they're angry. Maybe that's you. If that is you, the most important thing you can hear today is that even though you're angry, He loves you. And church, the person you know who is angry needs to know you love them. Needs to know what you stand for. Not just what you stand against. In these moments, it's a time of response. The Spirit's speaking to you. Listen and respond. If you want to come forward and talk with me, I'll be glad to talk with you. If you want to come forward and pray for someone or just pray uh, on your own behalf, come forward. If you want to pray with someone in your seat near you, you can do that. But I invite you to however God calls you to respond. Maybe you're trusting Him for the first time today and you want to have a relationship with Him. Maybe you wanna, you're interested in coming and being a part of this congregation and what God is doing through this church and this community, whatever it may be. Take time this morning and let's pray. Let's come and let's respond.